Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and this is Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's designed to help you really think about not just do your business. What I try to do is take different topics that I've been exposed to and certainly I think are really relevant, not only relevant to some of the things that you're experiencing in your business, but also relevant to the environment that we're in. You know, today more than ever, we've got a very interesting series of headwinds and tailwinds that I think make your business and make the moves that you make especially important if you're going to be successful. Some of these topics are really related to things that are in the trenches. Some of them are very global in terms of some of the uh, environment and the industry out there. Uh, This podcast series is supported by many of my strategic alliances, including Professional Remodeler, as well as some of the technology companies that are really there to support you with your business. Today, I want to talk about a topic that is a little bit different than certainly what I've talked about in the past. It's actually a topic I spend a lot of time working with individual companies and and organizations in terms of training. It's really focused on sales mastery. This particular topic is actually going to be a three-part series because I think there's got so much depth to it that I really want you to spend some time thinking about each part and piece. But just as importantly, I want you to be able to think about how do I go about use this tool to be able to train certainly and expose others in my company too. So let me give you a little bit of history on this whole notion of mastery. You know, mastery is something, as you really think about it, we all do it every single day, but it's something that you can take your game to the next level. You know, many years ago, I heard about the four levels of mastery when it comes to almost anything we do. And I think those that are the best of the best at sales, those that are the rock stars, that are the top guns, have taken it to level four, which which is where you become unconsciously competent of what you do. But what's interesting about that is the only way to become unconsciously competent is to be able to know, number one, the theories, the themes, but also be able to have the strategies and put them in practice and practice over and over until it becomes kind of a second nature. You know, when you jump on a bike, for example, you don't have to think about how to pedal. You're able to really enjoy the ride and be able to enjoy the view while you're doing it. If, in fact, you had to think about about, you know, how you sit on the seat, how you pedal, you would not necessarily enjoy the ride. Sales is very similar to that. I think for the best of the best, it's very natural. However, behind that natural kind of uh, element to it, it, there's a level of skill that's required. So let me give you a little bit more of my background as it relates to sales. I think some of you that listen to this podcast series know I come from the remodeling industry. I have the sawdust in my blood. And matter of fact, early on in my career, uh, my focus was really architecture. And in architecture school, I actually uh, created a thesis that was focused around design build. And my real passion, more than anything coming out of architecture, 
architecture school was design. And I would get out there and want to do projects and design for people. But what I realized at the time, the only way to really get projects that I was able to fulfill my dream of designing really cool things was to have better skills when it came to sales. I actually met someone early on in my career that was really more of a tin man. He was a salesperson that came from window sales, siding sales. And what I saw in him once I got through some of the other baggage was I saw levels of skills that he had in sales that I was never, never exposed to. So as a result of that, I actually try to become a little bit more of a student, not just of design, but a student of sales. You know, having said that, coming from architecture, it probably took me about three years of therapy even to admit the fact that I was actually in sales. So today I want to talk about really five themes that I think are really, really critical. Five themes, five parts in this first part of the Sales Mastery series uh, that I'll continue with five more parts, five more themes in the next one, as well as in the following one after. So I think as you think about this as a collection, you'll have probably about 15 different themes, techniques, ideas when it comes to sales that you can start to really assemble yourself. My goal more than anything with this particular uh, podcast series focus on sales mastery is number one, to get you to think. You know, the reality is you do this every single day. The question is, how often do you think about what you're doing rather than just do? Second is, I'm going to try to give you some techniques and ideas that will actually help you increase your close rate, increase your sales. Some of these techniques might be just different dialects of what you're already doing. However, hopefully it could be a word, it could be a phrase, it could be a strategy, it could be a technique that'll help you increase your sales or certainly with your team. And then lastly, as I said earlier, this is an opportunity for you to have a training tool that you can weave into your many, many other trainings. You know, during the recession back in 2008, 2009, those companies that really invested more into their training actually not only got through it, but saw sales go up, not go down during that period of time. So I think it's important that you have a whole assemblage of training tools in your tool belt to be able to use, and hopefully this will be the same. So let me go ahead and start with the parts that I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to be talking about just at a very high level how I think about salespeople. Number two is I'm going to talk about your greatest competitor. Number three, communication and how to go about communication. And number four, four, uh, 80-20 rule, and then number five, focusing on the right client and the right project. So let me start with number one. Uh, we're all salespeople. Some of us, however, are better than others. Now, I think one of the challenges, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, is that you've got to admit, first and foremost, that you're a salesperson. You've got to look in the mirror and you have to realize that nothing gets done unless ultimately it gets sold in the first place. And it's really up to your you to be able to learn some of those skills to be able to inch the client 
on, reduce their pain, create more joy in their life. And if you know how to do those kind of things, not only you're going to create a better client and a better world, but you're also going to create more sales for yourself. As I think about this theme, we're all salespeople, you know, think about who some of those salespeople are. You know, was Steve Jobs a salesperson? Well, I would argue Absolutely. That what he was able to accomplish and what he did, you know, was Oprah a salesperson or is Oprah a salesperson? Many, many would say absolutely. She's one of the best of the best in terms of sales because of her techniques, because of her mindset and because of her skills. You know, go on a little bit deeper, putting aside any religious connotation. You know, was Gandhi a great salesperson? I would argue maybe one of the best of the best there as well. I remember many many years ago, getting a very simple book that was titled The Greatest Salesperson That Ever Lived. And that was actually about Jesus Christ. So when you think about sales, I think first and foremost, you've got to kind of take a shower and get out of this notion that sales is not necessarily a really respectable kind of thing. Because those that are in sales, I think, do in many ways the best uh, out there in terms of what they can accomplish. So believing that we're all sales, some are better than others, really, I think, forces you to become a student of sales. And once you're a student of sales, number one, your radar or your ears kind of light up to the different opportunities of things to learn. But also you need to invest time, time in becoming a student of sales. How much time per week do you put into this thing called sales? I would encourage you know, just out of the gate, uh, give yourself that license, make appointments to yourself to spend at least an hour a week focusing on becoming a student of sales, sharpening that ax. It might be listening to podcasts like this. It might be reading books. It might be trying different techniques. It might be diagramming different ideas, but become a student of sales. If you just spend an hour a week over the course of a year, you're going to have a master's degree in sales and you're going to see the results of increased close rate, increased sales, and certainly I I think more delighted clients. Number two, your greatest client, your greatest competitor out there. Now, I ask audiences all the time, you know, think about, give me, tell me who your greatest competitor is. And it's fairly common that they will highlight one of the other remodeling or one of the other uh, construction companies in their particular area. And then I go on to say, you know, the truth of the matter is your greatest competitor is actually the client themselves the client themselves. Now, many people kind of look at me a little bit confused, but then I give them a little bit more facts and figures. Many, many years ago, I went back to our team and I said, you know, looking at the total volume of home improvement dollars that are spent, what's our volume of dollars compared to that? When we actually looked at it and we saw our market share, our market share was less than 1% and we were one of the largest in the country at what we did. You know, you really think about that. When your market share is less than 1%, then is 
are our other remodelers the real competitors? No. What the real revelation for me or the aha for me, the real competitor is really the client themselves. So what do I mean by the client? I mean, it's their fears. It's their fears that they naturally would have of being not only confused, but also about potentially being disappointed. Think about what remodeling is all about. You know, it's all about buying a dream in many ways. It's not like buying a car where you get in and you kind of smell the car, you touch the car, you drive the car. Well, how do you do that with a remodeling project? It's all about this dream that you're you're selling to the client and they're hoping at least they're going to be happy. So it creates a level of fear and anxiety. But fear goes even a step further. I'm actually on the board of the Better Business Bureau of the Mid-Atlantic and we get more complaints about home improvement, home remodeling than any other vocation or any other industry out there. You think about it. So a fear that clients have is their, their, their fear of being not only disappointed, but also being ripped off. Their fear of it costing and cost overruns. Think about, you know, even the word change orders. Some clients break out in hives. They think it's a verb, not a noun. And therefore, even the fear of things like that, of cost overruns. So one of the elements that you've got to overcome is client fear. A second one is their time. Today, more than ever, they're very, very time stars. So you've got to figure out a way to make your remodeling, make projects really a priority in their life if, in fact, you're going to be successful. And then a third, but certainly not the least, is their ignorance. You know, most remodeling, most remodeling clients have not gone through major remodeling. You know, they might do one or two remodeling projects over the course of, you know, 10 years in terms of a significant project. So how can you be an expert? How can you not be ignorant if you only do it once every 10 years? So your job, I think, in many ways is to vaporize the ignorance around the remodeling process. It's around what to experience. It's around how to go about buying all of those things. So I'm not trying to spin words on you as it relates to your biggest competitor here. But I think the more that you realize your client really is your competitor, it's not other remodelers, it's client. And the more that you become a marriage counselor, the more you become a psychologist, the more you become kind of a tour guide to take them through the the decision process, I think the more successful you're going to be in sales. Number three on my parts in the first part of this three-part series of Sales Mastery is it's our obligation to communicate, not others' responsibility to understand. Now, this is especially important in sales. The key to that particular theme, and go back and listen to it again, it's our obligation to communicate, not others' responsibility to understand. The key to this particular theme is ownership. Who owns? the communication. Nine times out of 10, where we see challenges in sales and we see challenges in, in particular in remodeling sales is in miscommunication. The other party doesn't necessarily get it. So you've got to really think in terms of, of uh, uh, trying to make the process more visual. You know, start to use more diagrams, not just words. I know many years ago, we used to explain our process and we used to uh, give it to the client literally, verbally. We have three steps to our 
board design build process. It begins with this, goes to this, goes to this, and then we do this and we need a retainer for this. All these kind of parts and pieces we would explain verbally to the client. And then literally, even after they'd written us a check, they would ask us, now, what is your process? So a light bulb went off. Maybe we need to make it more visual. So all we did was create a graphic. We created a diagram. We created kind of an opportunity for the client to understand there are three parts and it all starts with this and they can visually see it. Then it moves on to the next part and then it moves on to the next part. If you can make it visual, the likelihood for them to understand it is going to be much greater. Also, don't hesitate when it comes to thinking about phrases and words. You know, there's a lot of scary words when it comes to uh, home remodeling in particular that you need to use more friendly words. Instead of the use, use the word contract, use the word uh, agreement. Instead of change order, use uh, addendum. You know, talk about words that are process-driven words, not necessarily words that are really uh, all about construction techniques and those kind of things as well. Uh, also, don't he hesitate to use metaphors. Metaphors are a big, big part of communication. Why? Because if you use a metaphor or analogy, it might be something that they understand much better. And if they understand it, they'll buy it. One of the most important themes, I think, when it comes to sales and when specifically with remodeling sales. So for example, you might try as it creates, as a client asks for a breakdown, you might try to use kind of a metaphor analogy of a car. You know, would it be appropriate, for example, to be asking what the steering wheel costs when it comes to a car? Of course, it's kind of a ridiculous thing. But if you're using those analogies and metaphors, I think, or uh, ways for the client to understand, you know, I heard many, many years ago comparing new construction to home remodeling, that that home remodeling was sort of like having a suit tailored while the client was still inside it. You know, clients realized at that point, it's all about, it's all about the experience, not necessarily just the project. There's so many medical related, working with a doctor, a surgeon, as a financial planner, you oftentimes speak in terms of levels of risk. So clients understand that. And therefore, I think as you describe projects and the experience and the process, you can use certainly levels of risk. Don't hesitate to use third-party examples or certainly stories as well. So the long and short of it is you own the communication. You have to become more masterful of communication. It's one of the skills. And I think certainly that's something you should work on. Number four on my list of themes of this three-part series is the 80-20 rule. There's a lot of examples of 80-20. And I think the more that you start to think in 80-20 rule, the better. For example, you got to listen 80% of the time and talk 20% of the time. In salespeople, you know, 80% of the sales are made by 20% of the salespeople. You know, 80% of the time, you're going to get the same three objections. Those objections we'll talk about in a coming series, but those three objections, you're going to get them. And when you get the same objections all the time, you've got to become more masterful. You know, so as you think about all these 80% of 80-20 kind of rule elements, uh, you will be, I think, a lot more successful as well.
The last one I want to talk about today before I wrap up and really give you a break to kind of absorb these things and compare them and have you think about how it comes is focus on the right client. You know, many, many years ago, I actually was in a seminar and the seminar was done by a friend who was really coming from more of a financial perspective. And what he said is something I'll never forget. And that's 18% of the homeowners out there will not allow you to make a profit. Well, I went back to our marketing team, had them go back to the last 200 projects that we'd done. And sure enough, 40 of those fell below the point that we were making a profit. So he was actually right. So what we needed to do was develop a checklist to really be able to filter the right client. And I'm going to give you just a couple of elements with this, but I've done other podcasts and certainly written about this topic many, many times. So one of the questions, and it's a 10-point question checklist that you have to ask yourself to determine if it's the right client, is do they value your advice, your professional advice? You know, think about all those clients that would listen to what you have to say, but immediately want to gravitate towards another direction, other advice. Second is, do they allow you to control the process? Or do they want to control the process? You can see little indications of that in meetings. Number three is, do they have realistic expectations? You know, if their expectations are not realistic, then you'll probably fall short and they're not going to be the right client and you'll never make a profit on the right, on that type of client. Number four is, do they communicate well? Do they communicate well with you? Do they communicate well with each other if there's spouses that are involved? or partners. You know, the communication is really key, I think, to be successful. And last but not least in this five of the 10 part checklist is, are they honest? You know, you need to work with honest people and you can listen carefully for indications of whether they're honest or not. So I want to summarize a little bit about what we've talked about today to really kind of give you a break. Again, they will there will be two more parts to this sales mastery series that I'll I'll go deeper with with each one giving you more themes, ideas, and topics to, for you to be able to weave into your game. So again, um, it's all about realizing, first and foremost, that we're all salespeople. Some are just better than each other. And if you realize that you are a salesperson, I think the more you can do that, the more likely you will become a student of sales. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast series. Hopefully you will uh, be able to benefit from some of the themes and ideas that I've really talked about and uh, take care and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Remodeling Mastery Podcast by Mark G. Richardson, supported by Professional Remodeler Magazine, Engage, Leap, Marlamar, and Destination Motivation. Check out our earlier podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.